0: I'm Trent England for Save Our States, here with another one of our uh, Six Questions podcast. This is Six Questions for Tara Ross. Uh, Tara has been a champion of the Electoral College uh, for a long time, the author of multiple books um, about the Electoral College, including, uh, including a children's book, which is, uh, I think, my, my favorite, um, but, uh, but also Enlightened Democracy, the case for the Electoral College. Uh, Tara, thanks so much for, for being on our podcast.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Trent.
0: Well, uh, let's let's get right into it. The first question is uh, why why the electoral college? Why is this in interest of yours?
1: <laughs> well, it's a it's a funny and surprising reason. Um, I was in law school and I broke my arm. This is a true story. I broke my arm in a taxi cab. You should always wear your seatbelt in a taxi cab because sometimes they do get in wrecks. <laughs> I was in a wreck, sitting in the back seat of a taxi cab, not wearing my seatbelt, and. So I got thrown around a bit, broke my arm. I was in my last semester of law school and I needed something easy to do that would not require me to take notes in class. And so I literally started studying the Electoral College because it was quote unquote easy. (laughs) And I thought I could get through an independent study on that and help me with my broken arm situation. But um, what I ended up discovering is that I had never really understood this at all, that my schooling had completely left me just unprepared to know anything about how we elect our president or why we do it the way that we do. And the other thing I noticed during this time frame, this was in the spring of 2001. So it was right after the Bush versus Gore uh, mess that happened. And what I noticed during this period of time is that, you know, people think that it's partisan, especially in the wake of that election. People thought if you're for Bush, then you're for the Electoral College and otherwise you're for Gore. What people don't know is that Al Gore actually thought during the fall of 20. or of 2000, he thought that he was going to win the Electoral College and lose the popular vote. And so he had a team of lawyers preparing for that, preparing to defend that kind of a victory to the nation. And what it showed me is just how easily um, this can go in either direction. And it's really not about partisan politics. It's about whether the system serves us well, whether it serves the country, regardless of our political party. And so, I, I mean, I learned a you know, of course, it's been a constant learning journey for me for the past few decades since then. But that is is—that's how it got started was with a broken arm in law school.
0: <laughs> that's a great that's a great story. You never know. Uh, you never know uh, what uh, you know, what what your momentary decision is going to produce uh, decades down the road. That's that's terrific. It's so uh, true. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another book that you've written is called She Fought Too. Um, it's stories of revolutionary war heroines. Where did you find those stories? Because it's it's so unusual. Uh, you know, it's it's a side of history that we rarely get to read about. How did you come up with the idea for the book? And where did you find the stories?
1: Well, I mean, I guess that was just another, God feeds in random ways, I guess, sometimes, right? I, I ended up in this situation where I'm writing daily history blogs. And again, I didn't, have any real reason in mind, except I thought it would be easy. It turns out it's not really that easy, but um, but I had just had my son and I wanted something easy to do to keep my foot in the door for a few months while I kind of just, you know, was being a new mom. And so um, as it turned out, it, it, there's a lot of history out there that none of us were taught, that none of us, we just have no clue. I mean, right, we get the headline stories in our history classes in school, if we're lucky, and that's all we know. And so, you know, I don't even know tell you about where I get the stories. I spend a lot of time digging in books. I spend, um, a lot of time like (laughs) Googling history. Some days I literally Google or not Google, but, um, I do like a word search in Kindle, like, and all these history books to find, just to find a date that will be my date hook for the day. And then I go, I go dig up information about it, whatever it is. I spend a lot of time researching as much as anybody. I've bought myself a lot of books about, um, I, you know, I don't know. I have so many books in my library right for my um, bookshelf next to my desk. I, I don't even know where to start. I, I, You know, I don't know how to answer that question. It's kind of random. It could be anything. <laughs> but once That's I get it, know. I just I just start digging until I, I figure it out. And and, and I should say, now that I've been doing it for so long, people send me ideas too, which is fantastic. You know, and they'll say something like, did you, Yes, a couple of days ago, I did a submarine story. Like, did you hear about this submarine? And, and maybe I hadn't. But I just I go dig up information about it, and um, and and I have a whole spreadsheet of ideas now. I this very complicated Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> so any given day, I can go look and see the ideas that people have sent me, or maybe that I had myself when I was just reading a book, and I can figure out what I'm going to do for the next day.
0: That's that's great. I I think I think though that goes to you know the the mind that's prepared for learning is prepared to find it anywhere, Many right? Those random ideas, uh, and, and you know I. I'm sure a lot of our, a lot of the people watching or listening, um, subscribe to your your daily history on Facebook. But if they don't, they they certainly should because it's always fun and interesting. And uh, I especially like the Medal of Honor stories mm-hmm. that that you you provide. Those are, you know, I think just important for people to know those stories of ordinary American heroes.
1: It probably, I, I agree completely. And I try to find them because they're so. I feel like people are so down on America sometimes right now because, you know, I don't know, you're supposed to be or something because the media is, or I don't know. And it's just not true. America is a great, wonderful place. Are we perfect? No, Martin, but nobody is. Do we always try? Are we always working for more and more and more freedom? Yes, absolutely. Yes, we absolutely do that. And so I definitely look for those stories to remind us of all the sides of our heritage we can be proud of and talk about that. And, um, that doesn't mean we have to ignore the bad stuff, but I think it, we need equal treatment. And right now we're over-focused on the bad. And so um, I tried—I try tried to help that in the other direction.
0: You do a great job. Thank so you're you. also you're also, you're a retired attorney. Do you have advice for young people out there who are thinking about or entering into law school? What's, what's your advice for aspiring law students <laughs> and attorneys?
1: <laughs> well do not go to law school unless you know why you're there. And I, and I just say that because the first year especially is just a beating and there's just nothing else to say about it. It's a beating. Now I do not think, you know, the quote, why I'm going to be here has to be, I want to be a lawyer. I think there could be lots of other things. My, my personal plan, it, you know, I, I thought I'll go to law school. I mean, I just buckled down the first semester. I was like, I knew I had to make A's to like to get the good clerkships I wanted or whatever. And I, I just did nothing else. And that's what I did. Be prepared for that. Do nothing else for your first year of law school. That's what you're doing. And um, you know after that, you can, you can lighten up a little bit. But my plan was to go, to be a lawyer, to go you know sit in a firm for a while and, and just live like I was still in law school so that I could pay off my loans really fast and do all this sort of stuff and then go do what I really wanted to do, which is I thought I'd probably landed a think tank and do something like that, but um, probably a lot like what you do, Trent, but but um, instead I, I kind of do it for myself and it's worked out that way, but I, I definitely had an end game in mind so that when I get through the, when you get into those oh, finals or whatever, you can just have your eye on the ball, surround yourself with people who are not easily stressed, that's probably my other advice to somebody going to law school. I definitely worked hard. When you get to law school, you'll see there's some kinds of people that just stress out about everything and they are it's very hard to study when you're surrounded by that. I had friends that were older, that were already married, and that you know, we just I think we're a little bit more even keeled and could keep each other even keeled too. So I guess those are my main points of advice for law school. It's no picnic, but it it, it look, it teaches you to think. You were saying, How did you find those stories earlier? In law school, I mean it it taught me to. How to approach a problem? How to find? How to dig? How to? It it prepared me really well for what I do right now. It's it's maybe a tangent on what I thought I was going to do, but it prepared me really, really well to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's all great advice. I I have a friend who is a a J school graduate. Started out as a journalist, went into think tanks, and he said to me one day, he said that. His favorite journalists were mostly people who were trained as attorneys. I thought that was fascinating, but it goes to what you're saying that 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 legal education teaches you to dig and ask good questions and mm-hmm. put things put things together in, in terms of stories, which is which is what you do so well. Uh,
1: I, okay. yeah, I mean I remember I was when we were I was I co-authored a co-author of George Washington book, um, as you know. and so when we were talking something simple like they they had said George Washington was using powder for um days of thanksgiving and stuff so i didn't just say to myself well i assume he's using a powder that he needs i like I, I actually called a military historian i said explain to me how cannon works was he really using something that he would be able to i went through all of the different angles of what this powder i don't remember the details anymore this was like 15 years ago but all of the details of what exactly george washington had said what exactly was he using what exactly and it turns out there's multiple ways to fire some of these things and he probably wasn't using quite as much as I thought he was or whatever, but he was using some. Anyway, so that's the kind of thing they teach you to do in law school is to not make assumptions about, you know, what's in front of you, but to dig all the different angles and all the different, make sure you've covered all of the sides and aren't leaping to conclusions that that turned out to not be true.
0: Yeah. Okay. So back to the electoral college, Tara Ross, what do you think is the most compelling argument for the Electoral College?
1: I think for us, the most compelling argument is just how big and diverse America is, and to think about the situation that was in front of the founders. They knew their history. They knew that you um, that historically speaking, when government is too far away from the people, that tends to be a huge big problem. Also you know, the difficulties of governing when you have so many different kinds of variety of people. They thought a a country of 13 states was too big for one national government. And they felt like a creative solution was needed. Well, now we've got 50 and it's so much bigger. And people say the electoral college is outdated. I say the opposite. I say they thought 13 states was too big for, you know, single one size fits all solutions. And we're at 50. And so the president is the only person that is elected by all of us. We all, you know, is expected to represent all of us. That's not true of any other official in this country because of the way the founders dealt with the problem. They dealt with it by creating a federalist system where power is divided among the states where you elect your own governor or you elect your own representative in Congress. Um, States used to appoint senators. And now of course we elect them but that's all kind of divided up and it's divided up so that our differences can be reflected in government. But the president needed a way to reflect that also. And so we have chosen to do that by doing a state-by-state presidential election system. And so of course within the states, it's democratic as it works out. So you you get to vote for your presidential electors who are gonna go vote for you for president or vote for your state for president. But also we add that state-by-state element. And I, I think it's hugely important to America right now because of the diverse nature of our country and because of the many needs and perspectives and subcultures and industries and you know, urban versus not urban voters and all of the stuff that you have going on in America. And um, you know, lately there's been a push to try to squeeze us into all these one size fits all molds as if we can come up with one solution that fits all of us all the time. It's just not true. And so I think the faster we get back to recognizing who we really are, a diverse people who yes, have sim- similarities that we try to focus on um, for certain national purposes, but mostly we're just diverse, and we need to reflect that in our election systems.
0: So our final question here on our Save Our States Six Questions podcast is always, who's your favorite founding father, Tara Ross, and why?
1: George Washington. <laughs> and so, and I probably largely because I've studied him so much, I, You know, I did co-author a book about him, but I loved I could probably just relate to him in some ways. Um, one surprise, it might be my favorite trivia question about George Washington, but George Washington had a horrible temper and, and he overcame that mountain. So, and, you know, and I can get kind of strong-willed myself. So, I, you know, I, I love that he had this challenge in his life and I love that he conquered it and he worked so hard to do it, in fact, that now if you think about George Washington, you don't think the man had a temper. You think you think of him as kind of the stoic, emotionless guy. Well, he wasn't emotionless at all. He was a guy who had learned to control his temper and his passions so well that that's what we think of him. You know, now that's what it is. So, I um, I don't know. I just I admire him. He was just ambitious enough to get where he needed to go, but not so ambitious that he didn't, at the end of the day, just want to step down and go home to Mount Vernon. You know, he could have been king, and he didn't. He didn't do it. You know, was he perfect? No, he owned slaves. We all know this. But also, he over t- the over time, as he, um, you know, was fighting the revolution, was watching all the things going on around him. He questioned that. He wondered what was going on and could it be fixed? And he talked about it, like, how do we fix this? I, I don't think he ever landed on a solution that really worked well during his lifetime. But he knew it was a problem. He tried to take small steps. At Mount Vernon, you know, he quit selling his slaves. He tried to keep families together. He freed his slaves in his will. I mean, he, he did a lot of things to try to fix the problem. I think the problem was just too big for him, you know, to solve on his own. But, but he, I appreciate that he was a critical thinker who went, didn't just accept what was happening and, you know, blew it off. He, he learned, he watched what was going on around him and he took it into account and he started to change his mind. And that takes a big person to change your mind about something like that. So there's a there's a whole mess of things I admire about George Washington. He's, he's my absolute favorite.
0: Wonderful. Tara Ross, author of uh, many books, including uh, uh, She Fought Two, stor- Stories of Revolutionary War Heroines. I want to make sure I get yep. that right. Yes. Um, yep. As well as books about the Electoral College and George Washington. Uh, Tara, thanks so much for being a part of our Six Questions podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.